Good morning, everyone. And if you're a guest or visitor with us, really great to have you here. My name is Dave. I'm our lead pastor. And um, today we're really blessed to have our kids joining us for the service. About four times a year, we do what, what's called our all-age communion services. We, you know, um, Jesus taught us to remember him regularly with the table, with the elements of uh, the bread and the cup. And we want our kids, um, those who are old enough to be able to understand, to experience that with us and to participate. So parents, um, you can kind of help your kids to understand a little bit more what's going on, but they're going to be in our service today. And so this message is kind of geared to our kids as well this morning. You know, like some of you, I grew up going to church. I would go to kids' church uh, every Sunday, and we learned all the stories, and it was, it was great. But you know what? I don't really, like, remember specific stories really well except this one. And it's not the David and Goliath story. It was actually the David and Jonathan story. Somehow, that's the one that, like, stands out in my mind. And I don't know if it's because my name was David and I had a friend named Jonathan. Maybe that was it. Uh, maybe because there's archery in the story, and I love archery, so that could be it as well. But you know what I think? The reason why it kind of captured my imagination is because it has to do with friendship. And friendship is one of the most basic and valuable realities for any kid, really. And so kids, I'm going to ask, I know there's some kids in here. Let me ask you guys a question. Are friendships important to you? And tell me why. So kids, why are friendships important to you? There's some kids in the uh, crowd here that want to answer that. I know it's kind of scary because there's lots of big people, but don't be scared. Just put up your hand or shout it out or something. Why do you, why do you love friendship? Yeah, I can wait, so. <laughs> come on, some, some of our kids, come on. What about you guys over here? Anybody? Yeah, my kids are trying not to make eye contact. Oh, yes, up in the balcony. Yeah. To not be lonely. Man, that is so, so key. In fact, in the very, like, opening scenes of the Bible, everything is good. Everything is good. God, like, Adam had a perfect quiet time with God every day. And it says there was one thing that was not good, and that was Adam was lonely. So you're right. That's one of the most important things about friendship is that we would be lonely without friends. Yeah. You'll be surrounded by kindness. You know what? That is such a key part of what friendship is about. Because sometimes in the world, it's like sometimes the world's not that kind to us, right? And having friends is like having that people that you can come to and they'll be kind to you. Yeah, Oxley. Yeah, that you can be like, this person's got my back, right? We're going to look at that today in the story, because I think that's one of the key things in the David and Jonathan story, someone to rely on. Is there one more? Is there, I don't want to miss any kids who had their arms waving around, and I just can't see it. You guys, those are such good answers. Uh, one of the answers in the first service was a kid that said, um, so I can fight with my friends. But he meant it in a good way. He meant it like it was like wrestling. And, you know, that's one of the things that I loved about... Um, being a kid as well, because all of my life as a kid was lived in the context of friendship. It was with my brothers and wrestling with them. It was the neighbor kids. It was um, friends from school or from church. And, you know, it was catching frogs in the ditch in front of our house with them after school and building bow and arrows out of red osier dogwood in the backyard or building coyote traps or sleds for our jumps or skateboard ramps or go-courts or, or fishing 
at the wharf, or later cars and guitars and rock and roll shows. You know, all of my life as a kid was lived in that setting of friendship. And it's one of the most basic and meaningful parts of human existence. Here again, in this David story, it gives us a window into what it means to be human, actually. That's what, that's what this David story is really showing us, how to come fully alive to God and what God's ways are all about. And at the center of the God story is friendship. And at the center of this story today is friendship too. So today we're going to talk about what it means to cultivate a heart after God. David had that heart, but guess what? He had that heart in a community. It wasn't a lone venture. He did it with people. And so will we. Let's pray as we begin. Father God, thank you so much for this text that tells us the story of how, how these two men could love each other with you at the center of it and how it shows us that we're made for friendship. And so God, help us to see everything you want us to this morning for your glory. Amen. So if you have your Bibles with you, could you open up to 1 Samuel chapter 18 and we're going to start reading at verse 1. 1 Samuel 18, verse 1, is behind me on the screen. It says, after David had finished talking with Saul, we'll talk about that in a moment, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. He had been playing music for Saul and going back and forth to his family. Now Saul says, no, you're staying here with me. We'll talk about why that might be in a minute too. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic, and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Now notice, this story, this this friendship that's forming between David and Jonathan, it comes directly, it actually happens in the scene with the dust still settling around Goliath. While David was talking to Saul, what was he talking about? Well, he was sitting there, he was holding Goliath's head in his hand still, you could imagine. And he's laying there in the dirt, and it says, in that moment, Jonathan committed himself to David. One in spirit with him. We're seeing a contrast being set up in this scene between Saul, the king, and Jonathan, his son. We read in chapter 16, 21, that Saul loved David. Now, if you look and you've got the NIV, it translates, Saul liked him very much. But it's this exact same word is spoken of here of Jonathan. Saul loved David. And now you see here, Jonathan loved David. And notice too, it says, Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. That's language from Leviticus. That's how we're told to love others. Jesus says that that's how we're to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. So the picture that we're getting of the way Jonathan loves David is the way that God intends us to love other people. That's what we're made for. And then we're told why Jonathan, pardon me, we're not told why Jonathan loves him, but they shared two things in common right off the bat. Both of them took big risks with the Philistine opponents, and both had a deep trust in God. See, we read this story in 1 Samuel 14 where Jonathan says to his armor bearer, this younger man, he says, let's go to the Philistine camp and, um, and, and let's do battle. And they didn't tell anybody. And they snuck into the Philistine camp and it says that they were, they were successful that day. They took, Jonathan took huge risks against Philistine opponents, but also 
This is what Jonathan says. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. So Jonathan was a person who trusted deeply in the care and love and protection of God. Just like David squared off with Goliath, so Jonathan had been squaring off with Philistines for a while now. The most important thing in the center of their friendship is this, they both share a love for God, a deep trust in him. And you know what? They're going to help each other along the way. But the, at the heart, God is at the center of this friendship. And here's why I think this, sends to, this says to us, we need to be friendly with everybody. We need to respect be kind, love our neighbors, absolutely. We need to be friendly to everybody, but be very wise in who we attach ourselves to as our close friends. Paul says it like this in 1 Corinthians 15, 33. He says, bad company corrupts good character. What on earth does that mean? It means this. You will become like the five people you spend the most time with. You will become just like them. Why? Because we rub off on each other. Our context shapes us. And if you hang out with people who are heading down a road that's leading you away from God, guess where you're going? They will shape you. They will pull you in a direction. You'd like to think, no, I'm this strong person. Guess you will become like the five people you spend the most time with. And the the text teaches us that. So be friendly to people, but be very careful in who you make your closest associations with. We need to be very wise in who we pick as our actual friends because if they're, not, if they're not helping you to become more like Jesus, they're helping you in a different direction. That's just, that just makes sense. That's just logical. And um, that's what we see in Jonathan and David throughout the rest of this story. Jonathan will be looking out for David's best interest. He will have his back, quite literally, stepping into harm's way to protect his friend David. Kids... Teens, adults too, choose friends that share the most important thing in life with. For Christian friendship, we'll have a commitment to seeking the best from the other, to thinking about life through the lens of scripture and what's revealed to us by God. We will stand shoulder to shoulder with people and look to Jesus and his ways. We help each other focus on him. You know, from the time I was a young boy, I had the joy of making friends with people I knew were committed to Jesus as well. And when the pressures came, and they did, pressures uh, when it came to drugs or alcohol or ways of relating to people that weren't really appropriate, I had friends who could hold me, and I was holding them to what we knew about God. And we were pushing each other toward what was good and what was true and what was right. Yes, even young kids can be doing that for each other, absolutely. And that's not to say I didn't have friends who weren't followers of Jesus. I certainly did but they weren't my closest circle. They weren't the ones I drew the closest to. And of course, teens, you listen to your parents. That's great. But we know that the friends that you choose, those are the ones who are going to rub off on you in a huge way. And that's why you need to be very careful as to who you bring in real close. They have a huge influence on you and you on them. So choose friends that will help you be about God and his business in the world. Friends that will pray with you and for you through the most painful moments of life and who will celebrate and affirm you in all that God has made you for. Something else we need to see here as well. When Jonathan gives these gifts to David, the robe, the tunic, the bow and belt, you might just think, wow, that's a really cool gift. He really likes his friend. That's not what's going on here. These are symbolic of the kingdom. You have to understand, Saul is the king. 
Jonathan is the heir apparent. He's the one who would be coming to take on that kingly role. And what is he doing? When he hands over his robe, he is handing over the kingdom to David. He sees what God is doing in David's life, and he says, I can see, I can perceive that you are going to be our next king, and I am going to be with you and for you in that. Uh, One biblical scholar, um, Joyce Baldwin, she says it like this, Jonathan's action of stripping off his royal insignia, his royal armor and weapons, only to give them to David was a recognition of David's worth, for which Jonathan was willing to give his all, even his right to the throne. He's giving up his, willingly giving up his place as the next king. He recognizes what God is doing in David's life and supports it. And true friendship will have that same shape to it as well. See, Jonathan isn't in competition with David. He recognizes the special, unique role that David has, and he supports him, even at great cost to himself. There's this self-giving shape to true friendship. You know, when I expressed my desire to do uh, doctoral studies to my, to my wife, Catherine, my best friend in all the world, um, she could see a God-given longing in my heart to study and to be better prepared to serve God and his people. And she agreed, even with two very small children at home, two and eight months old, I went on my first trip, uh, two weeks at a time, and I'd be gone away. And not only did she support me in the sense of taking care of our boys at home, but she read every single page of every paper I wrote, probably in the neighborhood of, well, conservatively well over 600 pages of very dense academic writing she read and edited in support of me. That was self-giving for the sake of the other. Incredibly so. She was like Jonathan here in this story, giving not only a promise of life together, sure, but actually handing over all kinds of parts of her life to support me. She loved me as herself in that process. Jesus will say of his followers and all of us who want to follow him, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. So true friendship is laying down your life like in legitimate, real, practical ways for the sake of the other. We see that in Jonathan and that's what Jesus says is at the heart of friendship. Now, in this section, the friendship element that we read of, it it frames actually what most of this section will be dealing with. And what's that? Well, the jealousy, rage, and murderous intention of King Saul. Remember, we first see the connection between Jonathan and David. It's formed in celebration of Goliath's defeat. Jonathan affirms and celebrates David's success with him. But the majority of their friendship is actually going to take place in the real pressure and grit and grime of life. That's where the friendship really takes root and matters deeply. We find out in the next scene that King Saul, well, he'd he'd seen David's success in war, and so he says, hey, man, I'd like you to lead my army. And David does, and God gives him great success. He never fails in it. And so David's coming back from a battle, and then these women begin to sing it like this. They go, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. Now, it's unlikely that the women are trying to upset the king. They're not going to want to, like, poke fun at King Saul. You just don't do that, okay? Anywhere. (laughs) But the effect it has is it makes him very, very angry indeed. Instead of Saul being thankful that David has been a successful commander, 
there's this jealousy that begins to just boil up in his heart. There's this insecurity that leads him to read the situation and the song as though it were a slight against him, as though it were a personal attack. There's a saying I learned from my father-in-law. It must be a British thing because never, I've never heard it in Canada. But, it, but he would, there's this kind of jingle that goes, jealousy makes you nasty. And it does. It really does. We found out in our earlier message that God's spirit had actually departed from Saul. And instead, a harmful and tormenting spirit came upon him. And we see the effects of this. So David, and that was his first job for Saul, was playing music in his court to help him calm down. Now David's in his court. He's playing some music. Um, He's got this disturbed spirit within him. And this is just the next day after he hears this song from these women. And he's seething, and he's mad, and he's got a spear in his hand. And he gets so upset that he decides he's going to pin David to the wall with this spear. And so he lets it fly. And fortunately, David ducks or misses. We don't know, but he escapes. And we read this, the narrator says, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David but had departed from Saul. We read that David in everything he did had great success because the Lord was with him. And then it says of Saul's state of mind, when Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. Now here's the irony, is that in the rest of the story we find out that David will not attempt to hurt Saul in any way. In fact, David is protecting Saul. He believes that God called Saul to that role. He is gentle and kind and honoring to Saul the whole time. In fact, say it like this, David is the safest possible person for Saul, and yet Saul is fearing him. That insecurity that Saul has drives him actually to make five more attempts on David's life over the next two chapters, and this is where friendship becomes so important for David. You see, both Jonathan and uh, David's wife, Michael, they save his life several times. They were great friends who protected him. Here's what we read in chapter 19, verse 1 and following. Saul told his son, Jonathan, and all the attendants to kill David. But Jonathan had taken a great liking to David and warmed him. My father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. I will go and stand with my father in the field where you are. I'll speak to him about you and will tell you what I find out. Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you. And what he has done has benefited you greatly. He took his life into his hands when he killed the Philistine. The Lord won a great victory for all Israel. And you saw it and were glad. Why then would you do wrong to an innocent man like David, killing him for no reason? Saul listened to Jonathan and took an oath. As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be put to death. Jonathan is willing to step between David and his own father, seeking to preserve his friend's life. And that's not the only time. David and Jonathan, they they seek to give Saul the benefit of the doubt here. David goes back into um, work for Saul. Again, he has a spear thrown at him. Again, Saul sends people to try to have David killed and he has to be lowered out of a window. But they're not ganging up for injustice on Saul. They're actually trying to work out what's true and right and good and they're doing it with each other. 
And I think that's a key part of friendship as well that we need to learn from. Too often what friendship means in our culture is, oh, my friends are the people who never disagree with me. Uh, That's not true friendship. Friends are those who say, I will stick next to you even when you're wrong, and I'll tell you when you're wrong, because to not do that wouldn't be loving. It would be the opposite. No, spiritual friendships must be much braver than that. We're meant to help each other do the right thing, even if it means friction. And we can do that in our friendships because it is God who binds us to each other. In fact, we see some sharp disagreement arise between Jonathan and David. There's some back and forth in this disagreement in chapter 20. See, David is convinced that Saul is still after his life. He's still trying to kill him. And so he says to Jonathan, and just hear the exasperation in his voice, what have I done? Like, what... What is my crime? How have I wronged your father that he's trying to kill me? He is upset. He's upset with Jonathan because Jonathan seems to be making light of it. He says, no, what have I done? Really, what have I done? Here's Jonathan's response. Never, Jonathan replied. You're not going to die. Look, my father doesn't do anything, great or small, without letting me know. Why would he hide this from me? It isn't so. But David took an oath and said, your father knows very well that I've found favor in your eyes. And he said to himself, well, Jonathan must not know this or he'll be grieved. Yet as surely as the Lord lives, there's only one step between me and death. See, there's disagreement here about what's going on. But there is also listening. There's back and forth. There's reasoning. There's thinking it through together. That's what friends do. They're committed to working toward the truth. Look at verse four. Jonathan says, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. I'll do it for you. And he does. They make a plan uh, to test and see what, what Saul is all about, where his heart is at. If he really is trying to kill David, and that results, and that test actually results in Jonathan now having a spear thrown at him by his father in the court. When he realizes that John is trying to protect David. So there's a few things that we need to remember here. Number one, this story is about David, but better than that, it's actually about God working in David's life. So up to this point, the friendship kind of looks one-sided. Jonathan protecting David. But at the end of chapter 20, after Jonathan signals to David that he must free for his life. Now, kids, this is where the archery part comes in. See, David was hiding behind a rock in a field. And he made a signal with Jonathan that if, if Saul was really angry and still trying to kill David, he would shoot an arrow past him. And he yelled to the boy, boy, go, just keep going, go farther. The air was farther, just go farther. And that was the signal that David had to flee for his life, that Saul was still after him. And now here's what we read in verse 41. After the boy had gone, David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. You see him honoring and respecting the heir apparent to the throne. He, he, he loves his friend too. And this is what it says next. Then they kissed each other and wept together. And that wasn't weird in the ancient world, by the way. Uh, that was a greeting. That was a kindness. But then listen to it. It says, but David wept the most. David's heart was broken that there would be parting, that he would have to flee. This wasn't one-sided. David really cares about his friend too. Here's what Jonathan says. He encourages him. Look at verse 42. Jonathan said to David, go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. 
Then David left and Jonathan went back to the town. Now here's a few significant take-home points before we come to the table this morning. And we need to embrace these, I think. First, at this point in the story, David is doing everything right. When he says to Jonathan, what have I done wrong? The answer is, well, actually nothing. There's nothing you've done at this point that deserves you being chased around like this. And here's what we need to see. If everything is going right in your life, that isn't some sign that you are in the right or that you're doing everything right. Neither, if everything is going wrong in your life, that isn't a sign that you're doing everything wrong. Neither of those things is true. Every circumstance, every situation has to be measured, considered, thought through, prayed through, seeking a true view of it. I believe that David and Jonathan are doing that for each other. They're going, what's going on here? How do we honor Saul without getting you killed? They're working through this, every single situation. So the fact that David's life seems like it's in chaos here doesn't mean that David is doing anything wrong or that God is somehow not blessing him. In fact, God's blessing on David's life is the cause of Saul's rage. Sometimes we too will be attacked for doing the right thing, as David experiences here. And our friends are there in order to help us do the right thing, to help wrestle with it, and it will be needed at times. And that's next. Number two, these guys were reading their situation in light of God's promises, and they knew they needed each other. Now, we are very unlikely to need friends who will literally protect us from the kind of rage that David has directed toward him by Saul. However, we are, in another sense, in just as real a battle on the spiritual plane. Absolutely. And the stakes are just as high. They really are. So Christian friendship is not just a nice addition to our life if we think we feel like we need it for a moment. No, you and I need these kinds of friends. We need to be these kinds of friends. And so speaking to the adults in the room, remember how easy it was to make friends when you were kids? You know, you'd be playing at the beach and you were seven and someone would come up to you and they'd say, do you want to play? And you'd say, yeah. And then you went off and played for the rest of the day like you've known each other forever. Do you ever miss that? Do you miss just being able to be like, let's play? And they're like, yeah, let's do that. And you do. But you know, even in these simple, like, basics of that wonderfulness of childhood friendships, that can develop and grow and become truly deep and meaningful over time. My friend Royden and I, we first met at church when we were seven. That's him in the middle. Uh, That's me, actually, with the hair on the left. You're welcome. Um, (laughs) We went to camp together when we were eight years old and he had to leave early because he had a stomach ache. It's funny the things you remember, right? We played in a band together all throughout high school. Both of us drove finicky old BMWs that we were working on all the time. We were best men at each other's weddings just three weeks apart. And we continue to say, I love you when we hang up the phone with each other. But now at this stage in life, as I near 40 years old, something happens. There are these practical barriers to developing and maintaining close Friendships, when our time is divided between really good responsibilities of marriage and parenting and work, and Connor, that's actually you in the, that's you in the baby thing right there, just so you know, bud. Yeah. See, developing the sort of intimacy where you can share really the deepest things of your heart, what's going on in your life, where you can say, I love you and mean it, not just an expression of feeling, but a commitment to another man, that might seem strange in our cultural setting. But we see a legitimately unflinching affection between David and Jonathan, and it shouldn't be misread for what it is here. 
Now, under the influence of Freudian psychology, that makes every relationship out to be as though it's something else. And adults, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you can go and Google that and you'll be tracking with me. This puts a lot of pressure on men in particular not to be seen as too close to other guys. But we have a picture here in this text of two men who love each other genuinely. And more than that, too, we live in a culture that celebrates independence in such a way as to think that if you want close friendships, if you feel like you need friends, that might be perceived as looking weak. But the Bible and our story today, it challenges that view. Tim Keller, in his sermon on spiritual friendship, it's brilliant. He says this, to need and want friendships is not a sign of spiritual immaturity, but maturity. It's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of health. He continues, if you're lonely, if you want more friends, if you want closer friends, you're not dysfunctional, you're fine. You're lonely because you're not a tree. You're lonely because you're not a machine. You're you're lonely because you're built this way. Jonathan reminds David that it's the Lord that's the basis of their friendship. And so they have a firm basis to continue to trust each other. Eugene Peterson, he puts it so well. He says, what's revealed in this story is that massive resources of royalty are ranged against this young warrior, the raging king against the singing shepherd, a spear pitted against a harp. And what happens? After each outbreak of violence, King Saul is weaker and more distraught. After each outbreak of violence, David is stronger and still befriended. Evil doesn't diminish David. It doesn't narrow him. Bound up in the covenant of Jonathan's friendship, David is protected. None of Saul's evil gets inside him. In the face of such concentrated goodness, the goodness of this friendship, the goodness of what God has given these two guys, in the face of that evil, is powerless to maintain itself. And I think that's ultimately where the heart of this story leaves us. With the picture that evil is ultimately powerless to maintain itself in the face of what God is doing, especially what God has done for us through the coming of his son Jesus, through his death for us, through his resurrection. He ultimately undoes the power of evil. And that's what we're going to look at now as we move to the table. It's Jesus who came to us in bodily form. God come to be one of us. And in fact, he's the one who makes it possible for us to now be called children of God. I'm going to invite those who are going to help share uh, at the table to come up and, and serve with me. See, Jesus says that true friendship will always entail sacrifice for the sake of the other. Remember, he says, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And that's exactly what Jesus does for you and I, to make us friends of God. See, Jonathan was willing to lay down his right to the kingdom. Jesus goes way, way further. He, as the king of heaven, comes and lays his life down all the way to the point of death. And he rises again to make us uh, his very own children, to make us his friends. Once a month, we gather around the table to remember this, that God's life was broken apart so he could put us back together 
back in touch with him and each other. And so he took a meal just before he went to the cross. He took the bread and he broke it and he gave it out to his disciples, his followers, and said, this is my body that's going to be broken like this bread is broken. It's going to break for you, to heal you, to make you new again. And he took the cup and said, my blood will be shed so that your sins can be forgiven. And then he goes and he does it. He lives that out. And he gives us this set of symbols to remind us every time that we gather around this table that he did it for us to make us friends of God. And so parents with your kids, um, you can kind of help them figure out if they're in a place where they're ready to take this. Uh, This is for everyone who says, yes, Jesus, I trust in your love. I trust that your death and resurrection is real and is for me. I take it into myself. I let you give me a new heart and I follow you with my life. If you're ready to say that, then this is for you to participate in. If you're not in that place, you can just let it pass you by. But my, my urgency, my urging of you is to say, why not? Why not today? Why not put your trust in him today? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you gave us your son, Jesus. Jesus, that you willingly gave up your life to make us friends of God. And we celebrate that today at the table. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your resurrection. Thank you for new life. Amen.